Hello, and welcome to Legally Consumed, a consumer products podcast by a consumer products law firm in Australia. I'm Raf Goldenberg, and I'm joined by co-hosts Kay Ho and Will McMinn, who are members of the team at CIA Legal. We chat with executives of consumer products companies, their legal teams, and industry experts who give us a peek into their journeys as people. We explore industry-changing ideas and even share tips and tricks on how to navigate the consumer product space. This season, we will feature guests from the automotive, retail, advertising and insights, food, beverage, and primary production and franchising sectors. Today, we've got two guests on the Legally Consumed podcast. Um, we're very lucky to be joined by Anthony Denoto and Travis Knott, co-founders of Bonehead Brewing. We're even more lucky to be recording this podcast at the brewery and, um, and drinking some of the product as we do. Um, so my co-host today is Will McMinn. Welcome, Anthony, and welcome, Travis, and welcome, Will. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's a pleasure. This is very exciting. Thank you for joining us. Um, we always like to start the podcast by just hearing about your journeys, where you, you know, how you started off. And um, Anthony, we might start with you. Um, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us about your, I don't know, your first job and kind of how you got to where you are today. Well, f- firstly, I'd like to say thank you for pronouncing my surname correctly. That there's <laughs> points for that. <laughs> I've been saying the not over. Our entire life. Yeah, we've only known each other for 30 years or so. Uh, so no, it's not, so it just rolls <laughs> It was a lucky, makes me feel nah, Well family. done. Po- bonus points for that. Um, so, a little bit about myself. I'm a middle-aged father of two children <laughs> um, who uh, happened to have a bit of a career change uh, approaching 40 years old. Some would call that a midlife crisis, I suppose. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, so my first job, I... Ironically, work with the uh, bloke next to me now, uh, stocking shelves at Big W, doing night fill back in the uh, mid nineties. Mm. So Travis and I went to high school for one year anyway. Together, we did year twelve together, and um, yeah, Travis pretty much got me my first job. I would say I did because um, you were already working there, weren't you? I did. I yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and what did you do? How did you end up from Big W to Bonehead Brewing? Oh, I have done something. A little, little bit of a little bit of a journey. So at the end of year 12, I, I didn't go to university myself. At the end of year 12, my parents were like, okay, you've had a week to sit on the couch. Now you can come and work at the family business for a little bit until you find your feet and what you want to do, And but you're not sitting on the couch for the rest of your life. And that's a great, valuable lesson, by the way. So I really do appreciate that. It's uh, a long term, I didn't um, And yeah, 20 years later, I was still working in the family business, running it. My parents have long retired. And um, yeah, so... Travis and I, as I said, we went to school together. We started home brewing pretty much about the same time. Same weekend, I think. I think you got a kit for your 30th birthday. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's mum's built it. Yes. So we started home brewing coincidentally about the same time. And over the years, we enjoyed it enough that uh, I, uh, best man speech at your wedding, kind of announced it to the world that we're going to do this as a profession. I hadn't. I hadn't had that conversation with my fiance, their wife at that time. <laughs> Aunt, Aunt's, um, 
Ant's fantastic. I love Anthony to death. But Ant will put his foot in his mouth. There's a button. There's a button. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jay and Jay, to her credit, was great. She's been extremely, in my life, extremely supportive. Uh, and yeah. And I, I must say that we we couldn't have done what we've done today without our wives' support. Absolutely. So, so Travis, tell us a little bit about you and um, obviously your mates with Anthony, but um, I'm sure you had a slightly different journey to get to where you are. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I. So yeah, we, we, we went to high school together. My first job was pre that actually selling pies at the football of the snacks vendor. Um, Hilarious. And a, you hate the sport. Yeah. Which was actually to my benefit because I was the only one that wouldn't stop selling and what, oh, I've made my money. I'll just sit down and watch the, watch the game. Now I would just keep hustling. Um, so you'd always get, you know, best seller and then a bonus and good work. Um, and then on to, you know, a few other, I suppose, other hairnet and name tag jobs working at BW and all that type of stuff. Um, and then I found myself, uh, I, I, I couldn't stand retail. I didn't, I, I don't like the idea of working when everybody else is playing and a lot of retail happens on the weekend. Um, and one of our first conversations, we should open a bar together. This is Anthony and Warren. And, um, I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I want to be at the bar drinking the beer, not selling and serving the beer, you know? So I just, it wasn't, wasn't going to work out. So, um, sort of had a, another couple of, another couple of gigs, worked as a, worked in the, on the cusp of the automotive and finance and insurance industry as, as a, um, as a, as a research analyst for a publication. And then, um, my girlfriend at the time, Anthony actually introduced me to uh, was a, was a neighbor took off with her family to Brazil. So I didn't go to uni rather than go to uni. I, um, I spent three years in Brazil starting and running my own English school. Um, and sort of always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial flair idea, I guess, always wanted to work for myself. Um, but had no idea how to do that or what to do that in. So Brazil that ended after three years, came back to Australia, got into sales and marketing and kind of never, never looked back. Um, and it worked for all manner of kind of FMCG, uh, always quite nicely, I suppose, looking at the resume, always pretty much the leaders in what they did, which was good. Um, can you get a couple of, cause we, we, we are a consumer products podcast, so we're, um, keen to hear about it. No, no problems. I started, I suppose in, in the, in that world for Foster's, uh, Brewing International. Um, so it was, a in a duty free sort of role. So I managed, um, those accounts just as a key account manager. And that was brilliant. Sort of got me an exposure to beer. I uh, was back when they were sponsoring the Association of Surfing Professionals and the Formula One. So it sort of was was at a time that they were the two things that I was really passionate about. And then beer, which I was passionate about as well. So <laughs> definitely passionate about drinking. Oh yeah. Um, and the, I suppose back then there was no real craft beer in the country. So the craft beer for us was the Belgian beer cafe on, on, at the Bluestone building. And trying to offload, uh, cases of, uh, pure blonde off to your mate and he wasn't buying it. Yeah. We, Anth was a, a Stella drinker in those days. And, um, there was Stella Artois, not Estrella. Um, and we would have basically working at Foster's here, given two cases of beer a month. So you'd always get the beer you wanted to drink. And then you, I think at the time they were trying to get rid of pure blonde when it first came out. So you can have two cases of whatever you want, or you can have four cases of pure blonde. And I would always have people say, oh, have you got beer? Have you got beer? So it would always take one case of me and two cases of whatever I had to get rid of for family and friends. Um, and yeah, he wasn't tasted like soap still I don't know you can edit that out if you like, I don't mind. I'm sure. The lower and it's like blinking at battery. I think that's yeah. why I've. Low cal beer. Yeah. 
Um, I've tasted it. <laughs> so I worked for those guys for a little bit and then um, jumped out, worked for 20th Century Fox, Home Entertainment, doing DVDs for a long time. You also palmed off the um, AMDs to me that I wanted there. to watch. <laughs> 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 and then uh what else so then from there worked for the guy um the guys that founded or found started bringing in record elite cider in the country so red island imports that went on to become quiet deeds and now deeds brewing um so worked for those guys back when it was literally just pat dave and myself sitting around the table like this um and then jumped out and worked at pacific brands and i was a national sales manager at Tontine for about eight years before we started this so yeah um, so very different paths, you know, really different paths. Um, oh, you've done a lot, lot haven't you? I have. It's very hard to hold down a job uh, when you're a drunk. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, no, that's not For anyone listening, uh, indeed that'll. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So, so it's kind of a, yeah, crash course in sales and marketing. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, can you tell us a bit about the history of Bonehead Brewing as, a, as an organization? Um. Yeah, so I mean, as Ed touched on, we started brewing pretty much on the exact same weekend, and we saw this. I always had a, I always had a desire, I always had a want to do something like this, um, and I knew that if we were going, if I was going to do it, it was more than likely going to be with Anthony. Um, and well, I mean, we were in competition more so than collaboration with each other for a lot of that ten-year period. Fair to say, um, you know, two mates always trying to outbrew each other and make a better beer than one another. <laughs> As I started very slowly and improved. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, it, went, it went past him. Which I, I wouldn't say that, but others might. <laughs> uh, no, so we took every different path, right? So to be fair, I came out and I wanted to, I, at some point I wanted to make, I wanted to have a brewery. So I literally developed five or six beers that were the types of beers that I wanted to make. And I spent a long period of time trying to perfect those beers. Um, and... Some of those beers are still on today. So Mum's Pilsner we sell, which was the first beer I ever made. Mum gave me the barrels, the the, the homebrew kit for my birthday. So Mum's Pilsner was the first beer I ever penned. And to this date, it's still pretty similar. How, um, how long ago was that? Oh, that was 15 years ago. Yeah, right. yeah 45, that was a 30. Yeah. So whereas Anth took to it as he just wanted to try his hand at anything and everything that he could possibly make. And I think... That's you found business models today, yeah. <laughs> and it is, you know, and you found, you kind of found IPAs and then really, uh, really started focusing on those. I, to this date, had never made an IPA. Um, that just wasn't what I wanted to focus on. Um, yeah, so we, we talked to it in a very different, in very different light. And then circa, oh God, we were, we were at it for, as I said, maybe nine years, eight, nine years before we decided, okay, we've either, we're either going to die wondering. Um, or we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it was in early 2016, we started really seriously considering it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we called ourselves scoundrel brewing because, and you know, this is, I'm, I'm sure for the little bit of, little bit of money that we made, a little bit of beer that we made and sold, no one's really going to, you know, dig too deep into it. But so we called ourselves scoundrel brewing because, um, it was just all brewed in the backyard and it was all sold to weddings, parties and anything. Right. So if we had a mate that had a wedding, we would for a hundred bucks a keg of 20 litre corny kegs would rock up and pour beer. But a cricket club needed some beer. Cricket club needed all that type of stuff, right? So we weren't selling it commercially. We were doing it under the radar and it was, it was quite scandal. Yeah. And presumably pirate life was taken at that time. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're exactly right. Yeah. And as it turns out, so was scoundrel. 
Um, so, <laughs> so after all, yeah. So this is where the legal comes into the podcast. Well, yeah, yeah. Probably leads into the next question, I suppose. Oh, is that why we're called Scoundrel Brew? No, why we're called Bone. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we are. Uh, why we're not called Scoundrel. So basically, uh, you know, when we decided to do Bonehead Brewing, we, we decided to divide and conquer. I still have my day job um, and Anf was finishing up what he did to start working at Bonehead. So it made sense. Anthony had to then become the brewer. Um, and from the background, I'll take care of sales and marketing. Um, so, and that was kind of what I'd always done. And was, you know, at that point I got off and done other hobbies. Anthony continued brewing. He was, he got off and, and done some extra study for brewing. So that just made perfect sense. Um, I then did the IP search for scoundrel brewing, um, not realizing that if I did it, like legal advice, didn't we? Yeah. Well, no, at that point we didn't, I just went and did it and all right, it's available as let's call ourselves scoundrel brewing, um, which is, I'm sure if I had have done a, an IP search for fish and chips, I probably would have tried to register fish and chips, right? Like I, yeah. So, um, lesson, lesson learned, bit of a bonehead move. And then for a little while later, for a long time later, I then tried to sell Anthony on the name bonehead because it was, it was very much what we were, what we were about. So. <laughs> and you prevailed. Yeah, we prevailed. And you what was the what was the turning factor, Ant? Turning factor, misty eyed on this. You may as well. You may as well. Turning fa- the signing factor was so. So my mother's got severe dementia these days, and one of her last lucid conversations with with me was, "Do you trust Travis?" I'm like, "Yeah." So then, do you trust that he's he's going to make the right decision? Like, yeah, of course I do. So just go with it because I was resisting the name. I'm, I. I've never actually said this, but are you sure that that was her, your last lucid conversation? Or was she, was she wrong? Like, <laughs> she still had her wits about her at that stage to a point, and then, yeah, didn't for much longer after that. Um, so, so how did you get out of the scoundrel situation? Or did you, did you prefer? Was wasn't much of a situation to do really. We we asked if so long story short there's a winery in south australia who we won't mention but they have trademarked the name scoundrel for one of their wines and we asked if we could coexist yep and on the, over the phone it was like yep i'm sure we can come to some agreement and then a few days later got a cease and desist mm. and then we <laughs> we picked up the phone again and thought Chris, what i was talking to you about this um yeah to which it was replied dad's a lawyer and why would we let go of it? So it's so, okay. No, that makes perfect sense. So ticking all of the boxes in Raf's head for <laughs> RP uh, trademarks yeah. uh, practice. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, it, it is what it is. And at the, when, when we were first starting out, there was no way that we were going to try and fight anything. You know, as, as you know, when you're, you're starting a business, you put all your money into the business and trying to get as much stainless as you can to make as much liquid as you can. Um, not not hire people to fight things that are probably a losing battle. So and in a way, lucky, I guess, that you found out at that stage before it was before you're too far along and you could actually rebrand it. Absolutely. Do something yeah. different. And we can, and we can bounce, we could bounce off it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, by, by calling the business Bonehead Brewing, which this probably does lead into the next conversation, by calling the business Bonehead Brewing, it did one of a few things. A, it allowed us to continue that narrative and that story. So therefore, why are you no longer called scoundrel? So the 15 people that knew who we were kind of got some continuity to <laughs> So you were saying before, um, you know, nobody starts a business to pay lawyers. You, you start the business so that you can buy as much stainless steel as you can. But Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of 
making a brewery? How hard is it to run a commercial brewery uh, in Melbourne? A little bit harder than I first envisioned. Um, so do something else if you're listening at home. <laughs> yeah. Unless you got loads of money. These guys, um, they don't want the competition. No, it's got nothing to do with that, please. <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> I do. I believe a rising, rising tide lifts all this. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit harder than I first thought. So we had some serious low budget original plans that we were going to do, even starting off it in my backyard with a small, small 300 litre brew house. And then it got scaled up and I did some more research and the more I read up, I'm like, nah, we'll be broke in the first five months. If we, if we do it this way, we've got to go, go large or go home. And when I say go large, we're still tiny compared to most, but it's as large as we could afford. Um, I'd had no personal experience in a commercial brewery before, short of being in a few, but never really worked in one or knew the goings on of one. I started to meet a few people in the industry and obviously got a bit of advice and luckily my neighbor by coincidence was opening up a brewery at the exact same time in Argentina. He was moving, so he was from Argentina. He was moving back to Argentina to open up a brewery pretty much the same size and getting it, getting equipment ironically from the same place we were looking at and everything like that. So long story short, he had a, he was an engineer and had a, a larger background on how to actually assemble the stuff and know what the right course was. So I, I bounced off him quite a bit. We ended up buying the equipment together, almost not like a, not two for one, but it's, yeah, we packaged our, our, our um, purchasing together and we actually went to China together to go inspect it and make sure everything was to our specifications. And when we got it back here, we, uh, we assembled a fair bit of it ourselves and they, they brought a technician over from their factory to help us assemble it all up. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a few learning learning curves on there. Like, we we had no idea how a steam boiler actually functioned. We just thought, hey, you buy a boiler and plug it in. Well, it's a lot more complicated and expensive than that. Mm. And, um, yeah. Because we we just took a look before we started recording downstairs and all the big, um, all the equipment there. It has to be expensive, doesn't it? It is. It is. Um, I mean, there's a big lot. Investment. It's it, for, it, on our scale. It is definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've 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 got complete skin in this game. Our mortgages are basically paying for everything you see next door. Um, well, the initial startup, anyway, on that, and uh, so we did everything we could within our budget. And I mean, there's other breweries that are a lot more flash and have a lot more, mm. a lot better equipment than us. But yeah, uh, I think to, I mean to jump in there really quickly. I think we're as as a as a business and as a team, we kind of pride ourselves on punching above our weight. If that makes any sense, right? So, um, you know, for for a long time, we were running around saying, well, we were telling everyone they were coming. Basically, we're Melbourne's cheapest built brewery, right? In terms of how we've put it together, I think, and, I think the, the the catch line there was, "Who the hell are these guys?" Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a very impressive set of vats over on the other side. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about what goes into the vats and the range that you guys make? Yeah. Um, do you want me to tackle this? Go for it. So I think um, for us, we've we've really looked at, uh, I suppose, diversifying our portfolio or, or getting a range hierarchy, I think is important. And from my time as house marketing, I think that it's it's important that people understand, understand a brand. You've kind of got to be comfortable with what they're putting out. So we do a lot of different tiers. Um, and we've got that hierarchy. So it's got some entry level sort of stuff that we we do as, as white paper around the world. So you might go into a pub and see such and such pale ale, well, it's just bonehead pale or such and such Mexican cerveza, it's, it's our cerveza. Um, we've kind of got two or three of those lines. And then we've got a whole bunch of classic boneheads. 
who are beers that are a little bit less mainstream than you'll think nowadays. So we don't have a standard IPA in that range. We don't really have a standard pale ale in that range. They're the dark lagers that we do. So Sleep Pea, our dark lager, Phase, our New England IPA is probably the most mainstream that we do nowadays. Um, we've got a beautiful American Red Ale. We've got a Czech-style Pilsner. And these, and these are the beers we launched the brewery with. And we have people coming in going, you've not got an IPA. You've not got a pale ale. What are you doing? It's like there's plenty of good IPAs and pales out there. Go and drink those, right? We're doing stuff that's a little bit different. Not okay. anymore. Not anymore. Drink ours. Drink ours. Yeah, fine. No. I was actually struck by the number, like by the range. There's quite like when you when we went to the bar there. There's quite a few. There's quite a few there. Well, so that must make it um, more complicated. Makes my job tricky. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and not 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 as hard now as it was when we first started. Um, when we first started, we only had four little ten heck uni tanks. Um, so 10 heck fermenters, so a thousand liters a piece. Um, and we had no canning line. So we had to lie. We had a contract canner. We had a guy that would turn up in a van and this is something you can still get done, unpack all his canning equipment and then set up downstairs in the bar and pack. The economy of scale says you need to pack all four tanks at once to make it worthwhile. So we had to line or Anthony had to line up the production schedule from the end. So what date is everything going to be finished? Let's work back from there. That's when the can is coming in and we've got a Brooker's beer doesn't all take the same amount of time to ferment or to get ready. So we had to kind of line it all up from the back. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, nowadays we've got a lot more space and a lot more tanks, um, but we have these classic bonehead, which are our, our core range. And then we're putting out a new beer or a limited release beer once every two weeks. So. The market at the moment and the market for the last few years has definitely been one of, um, sometimes it's, I'll only drink a beer once. So you get people, it's kind of like Pokemon or Gran Turismo, if you're into that type of thing, where you've got to collect everything, you know? Um, so you get people walking to a bottle shop. Yeah, you've got to collect all the cars in Gran Turismo. Um, well, I did. Um, so it's like, you've got to walk in and you walk into a bottle shop and you might, you buy a mixed six. Yeah, right. So you're talking about the canned beers. Canned beers. Only for a couple of weeks, you might have a, yeah, wow. Well, yeah, we'll put a, I guess you've got the flexibility, don't you, to, to do that. And that's the idea. We've got this, we've got the, we've got so many tanks in there now that we can just have new beers all over. But do you have to do it like a new label for each one? Unfortunately so. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So a new, uh, new label, new tap decal. Um, yeah, and we try to do a lot more in keg than we do in can. Um, but yeah, essentially we've got, uh, we've got a new beer every two weeks, mainly under either the Bonafide series, which is just our serious release, funny enough. Um, or we do another release called Smells Like Pop Culture. Um, and the dry hopter that you've got there is part of that. It's actually a dry hopter, die harder reference. It's our Christmas beer. Ah, cool. That's great. And where, where can you buy them? So where can you find them around town? We're in most craft beer outlets so local small local bottle stores independent local bottle stores um we're in a couple of vintage sellers and um first choice liquors and liquor lands and we are before christmas we should be in about four or five dan murphy's in melbourne um that we are available available nationally so we've got distributors taking care of the other states and um, we just focus on direct sales here in melbourne got a website boneheadbrewing.com.au um so we've got a, an online store there uh and we've got the tap room here at 886 parcel street in kensington but yeah get into uh if you're listening at home get into your <laughs> local bottle and ask them for bonehead brewing we're going to wrap up this sort of section of the podcast with the kind of escape covid um during 
those that those dark days, our premier told us not to get on the beers during lockdowns, but um, everyone did, obviously. How did um, COVID affect your business? Did it grow? I know there was growth in the in the consumption of it. Uh, <laughs> did you guys sell more beer over COVID? It completely changed the way we did things. I mean, pre-COVID, we uh, wholesale sales were a very small portion of this business. We we relied a lot on the bar and pe- people coming in over the weekend and drinking at the bar. And I think I would say maybe 20% of it was wholesale, 25% was wholesale. And that completely flipped on its head. Like I worked the, the very last shift as the premier was announcing everything's shutting down tomorrow. And from there, we're like, okay. Luckily, we had just just purchased that canning machine about a month or two earlier, mm. and we we're able to say, okay, everything that's about to go in kegs, change course. We're going to put it all in can, and we were able to at first set up a really quick website, which still serves as well today. Mm. Um, sold a fair portion of beer online because there was a lot of people that just still wanted to support us, which was great. And then eventually, Travis and the sales guys really push hard on the wholesale. And it changed our business significantly, I would say, now to a 20% on, 20% the bar and the rest is wholesale. Yeah, there are about. So it's flipped on its head. It's flipped on its head. We were able to keep operating during that time. Like It was difficult. What can you- and it was difficult. And I mean, I don't want to get too far into it. Yeah. But the whole JobKeeper thing, the way that it was structured didn't really favor us. We had just purchased a couple of extra tanks and a canning line which means we were, we were actually producing a whole lot more liquid than we were the previous year. And they only took one metric into account, how much you're actually physically selling or how much you're actually spending. And we only qualified for the first three months of JobKeeper, I think it was. And then after that, we were cut adrift and um, it made things pretty tough, but we kept full staff on through COVID. We, to our own detriment probably, and we s- sacrificed quite a bit, both of us personally, to make sure everyone still had a job. And we could still fu- still function as a business. I mean, it, as a business, it, it I, I, look, it, there were some really good things. We can we'll talk about those in a moment. But to get it out of the way, yeah, it, it nearly took us to the wall a couple of times, um, and we're still recovering from that from that hangover. We'll get from from that. We've got a, a big COVID hangover. Um, you know, the market really has only just come back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, and you know, honestly, I'm we're ro- I'm rolling into New Year's. Last New Year's, basically, everybody went to a super spreader event. We all got COVID, and then whilst it wasn't a lockdown, everyone um, it might just, as well have been. It may as well have been. Yeah, everyone just went home. So the yeah. the first six months of this year was the hardest retail landscape I've ever seen, um, and so it was that was quite difficult. During it, look for rightly managed or not, if it wasn't for JobKeeper, we wouldn't be here. Um, if it wasn't for our own, you know, coffers, be that mortgage or whatever it might've been, we wouldn't be here. Um, but we just, we made a decision as Anne said, to keep everybody employed and we did everything we could to make sure that happened. Um, from a brand perspective. So, so there's, there's all the negatives and the hardships from a positive perspective. Um, yeah, you know, everyone said that the beer consumption did this. Um, that was great. And that was, you know, you think if you think about the people that report the companies that report on those metrics, they're not your local craft bottle shops, right? They're your they're your Coles and your Woolworths. Um, they're the guys that have the JFK data. They're the guys that have the the point of sale systems that record that and report on that. And that's not our end of our end of town when it comes to beer. But what it did well for us was we were a new business, and if you think about the path of purchase 
to buying something. And I said a moment ago, a lot of people don't drink the same beer twice, right? Some, not, not all, some. So what was happening is, is we had people going into craft bottle shops and they're making that decision whilst they're making their six pack of beer in the freezer. Okay, I'm going to have an IPA. Okay, I'm going to have a pale ale. All right, I'm going to have a bonehead. So you've got one part, one, one marketing connection point there, deciding to buy bonehead. They're making their mix pack. They're taking it home. They're putting it in their fridge and then they're doing the exact same thing again. Okay, what am I going to drink today? Oh, today I'm going to have bonehead. So it was almost like for every one interaction, we were having that double up, if that makes any sense. So our brand awareness went through the roof, um, which was fantastic. And I think if it wasn't for COVID, we wouldn't have seen such a sharp rise in brand awareness, which was good. Uh, at the same time, we did get a canning line and we did get a lot more tanks. So not only, yeah, okay, we had to pay for those, but it meant that we could diversify what we were doing. Um, and that's really where this new beer, we've, we've scaled back to a new beer every two weeks. We put out 46 beers, 46 new limited release beers in 2020. 52 weeks of the year, 46 beers. So just because the only way you could do it was to keep fresh. And for us, it worked really well because it meant that people wanted to go back to the local bottle shop. There was so much newness, so much innovation coming into the market that for the people that were only drinking beer once, they could. They could go in there every week and find a new bonehead bottle. Yeah, and that worked for us. I guess people who become familiar with the brand as well were kind of like, okay, what's next? What's coming next week? I'm going to try that one. And the landscape's slowly changing back to a bit of a normality. That uh, yeah. Our core range in this, this current year, in 2022, has actually really thrived because people have gone back to drinking at the pub and just drinking a more range beer. Absolutely. So, which takes a little bit of pressure off us as far as needing to reinvent the wheel every week, especially me. And we, we, we do things quite planned. So this is the, the, the lovely balance, I guess, of both of our worlds. Um, Ants at an operational level, um, on the ground, keeping what's going on today. I'm trying to think about what we're doing next. So, um, we sit down, uh, we sit down once every six months and plan out what we're doing for six months. So all our limited releases, we know what we're doing now in July um, because we have sat there and planned those out. We know what those limited releases are. We couldn't do that if we were doing one a week. We would, it'd be, well, we would have to do it more, but you just couldn't do it. It'd be mental. Bit of throwing spaghetti up against the wall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, and it's it's good. I mean, we, we build our range to kind of say, you know, there's a lot of people that don't just drink one beer once. So they want to keep coming back to Mums or Faze or Junior or Sweet Pea or Revered or whatever the core range is. Um, whereas there's a lot of people that, yeah, are just shopping newness and innovation, as it is in any consumer good. You've got to have a balance of both. Sure. So now, so now that you sort of through that, I think, the sort of that setup establishment phase and you've got some brand awareness, it's, it seems like when you go into a, a craft bottle shop, there's just a million different... Um, beers you know like and a million different beers from Melbourne so how do you kind of stand out how do you compete you know what's this what's the special thing that you do I think I think a lot of it I mean I know myself when I go into a craft bottle shop visually is I, I shop visually first it, if there's really cool artwork on there it's going to attract me to it then I'll look at the style of beer that it is then I'll probably third I'll look at look at the brewery Totally. I'm going to jump in there. I'm a sucker for a good label. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Exactly the same way. Yeah. 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 And it's it's unfortunate in some circumstances because you could make an amazing beer but have a really crappy label and it, it might, 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 might try it. Yeah. But we have seen uh, 
yes, and I'm not going to name names, but there are beers out there with amazing labels. The liquid inside really doesn't hold up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a balance. I think so. That's part of it, but it's that whole path to purchase, you know. So I think when people think about how they're shopping, um, and if you're talking about consumer goods, a lot of the marketing's got to come down to what that path to purchase is. So I mean, a guy wakes a person wakes up and like oh, I'm going to buy a beer. They know where they're shopping. So getting them to the store is not the problem. It's, you're right, once you're in store, what are we picking up? And I think it's got to come down to, for us, there's nothing going into store. They're not taking a catalogue into their local bottle shop, going on, buying on special. So they're not buying on price point. Um, they're buying on, okay, brand loyalty. Have I had enough of this brand to trust what I'm buying? And therefore, can I try something different and feel like it's okay, right? So for us, it's liquid is number one. All right, so the quality that we put into it is number one. And we always strive to make sure that our beers are three things. And they sound a little bit silly if you're not into beer or beverage, but balanced, so not, that's not one-dimensional, right? You, you can't just be very hoppy without having a bit of sweetness to, co to cover that, or very bitter without having a bit of sweetness to cover that off. Two is approachable, so you've got to make sure that, you know, it's it's not, you're like, oh my God, I'm chewing through this, and I need to not, you know, just those, those kind of comments, we need to steer away from those. And then um, third is sessionable. And I don't mean light in ABV, I mean Moorish. You know, like, oh, can I have this? And if we focus on making sure, and we were we were pretty staunch on this early on. I think we're judging by the look around the table here. All the glasses seem pretty empty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're definitely sessionable, right? Um, so we, you know, early on, we started focusing on this and we were very, very strict and fierce on this. You put on a suit from a certain tailor that fits in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, right? yeah. That's how it should be. So... We, we, we try to build on trust in that brand awareness and then packaging is, yeah, what, what helps it come off the shelf. It's what draws the eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of turning direction a little bit into the, the legal space and the regulatory space, like obviously the sale and the advertising of alcohol is highly regulated. Um, how have you managed your way through that? I mean, I know Travis, you talked about and you worked at Foster's before, you got some familiarity with it, but um, just seems like there's so many, every state and territory has got their own liquor licensing regime. Um, there's a million different requirements. How do you keep up with it and how do you, have you managed it? Yeah, the, lo the local authorities here, the VCGR or what, whatever they're called now, VCCC, I think they are now, they, they were quite, quite good to deal with, to be quite honest. Out of all the bodies we had to deal with over setting up this brewery they were, they were actually really good there i think they're, because they're only a small team man in richmond i think everybody has each other's back and knows what everyone's role is so you're not picking up the phone and like nah that's not my job you gotta call some call back and uh, everyone knows what they're doing and they were extremely helpful with information and really helped us through the process absolutely yeah, yeah. and there's not a million changes in the five years we've been open that that, that really affect us because we've got a producer's license which which means we're, we're, we can we can produce and we can sell wholesale, but we can also sell retail on our own premise and all alcohol. So yeah, we can we can sell a bottle of gin and use yeah. it like a like a bottle. Shop. Not as a takeaway, no. We can't. Um, unless it's, unless it's produced here, we can over the bar. Yeah, yeah, we can sell it. Uh, yeah, someone make someone wants a mixed drink, definitely, but we we can't sell a takeaway bottle that that isn't made on this premise. Well, the I mean the only exception to that was the was the gin that we made. Yeah, exactly, because it was maize, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I'll, I'll probably say the same thing about the ATO, to be really honest. I think they're, you know, from an excise point of view, I think they've been quite, 
quite good as well. I mean, you set up, you don't know the ins and outs of everything, and there's no government department will be like, oh, you know, here's here's the plan of what you do if you want to open a brewery. So just asking the question has been really good. Um, not often have we been met with, what do you mean? I don't know. Like, it's, which has been really, really good. The, the only thing I'll say on that is with, Fed, on a federal level, the government departments all think you run like CUB. Yeah. They, they, they don't have an idea that we're a tiny little one factory brewery where, you know, everybody's a massive multinational corporation, according to it. And we're all treated as such. In terms of, in ter and I think in terms of uh, legalities, in terms of um, uh, packaging requirements and what you need on, on tins and cans, the, the Independent Brewers Association has been a really good resource for that. Uh, they keep us abreast of any changes, just they want to make sure that everyone's doing the right thing falls back on on their members so they've been a great help um and in terms of okay so flying too close to the sun yeah. in certain things like the beer you're drinking at the moment is obviously well it's it's obviously to me uh a um diehard two reference right we've got a caricature of bruce willis exploding out of an era we try not to fly too close to the sun you know we haven't called it bruce willis's ipa right uh, the next kanye's burgers yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although we did, as soon as I read that, my initial reaction was, let's do a collab with these guys. I think, well, <laughs> I think we steer clear of Kanye for the minute. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've done a few where we have come very, very close, I think, flying too close to the sun. Um, and, you know, we, we're not, we're in independent craft liquor stores. No one from Marvel Entertainment is going to see that can of Hulk Smash. Um, so a little bit more licensed just to, to be a little bit yeah. and and also that they're, they're, they're here here today gone tomorrow these these beers we make one batch at a very small quantity the other thing is, yeah that's true so you can sort of if yeah. cease and desist well we already have yeah yeah um the other thing is well, you know if it doesn't smell right then you don't do it really yeah. um yeah. you know we've had a look at with our smells like pop culture release what type of things should we do or could we do um, you know, we'll, let's do a Teenage Ninja Turtle beer. Well, okay, if we're going to do that, it's really got to be focused on how our consumer and adult remembers Teenage Ninja Turtle. It can't be Michael Bay. It's got to be a cartoon from the night. You know, oh, we want to do a, I don't know, a whatever beer. Well, does that play a little bit too young? Yeah. We can't go that, anywhere near that. That's the you biggest know? problem in, in, in packaging, especially in the beer industry. You can't be seen to play into a young audience. No. There was a couple of breweries that got tripped up on that because they had, whether it be Star Wars references or something that looked similar to SpongeBob SquarePants or something yeah. like that, and they were they seemed to be playing to a, to to a children's market, and they were made to. And you feel like I feel for that, especially the the Star Wars reference, like the beer. We don't need to know names. It's 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 widely widely publicised. That beer started as a limited release beer. We could quite easily have fallen into that into that world. Have, had it have been here, we would have probably, we would have made the exact same beer. We just would have called it something else immediately. Um, so, you know, we've had, we've had spells like pop culture releases that we can't do again, that have come back as bona fide releases. And, you know, well, rather than calling it sabotage and it being a Beastie Boys reference, we call it Mirage because that's a lot, you know what I mean? Like a lot. So, yeah. It's a tough line because this, like, everything appeals to kids in some way or another. Yeah. So that whole, is it targeted at kids versus is it just something that might appeal to kids? Yeah. You know, if you, you could put it, you know, I don't know, anything in there and you might, you might run into an issue because a kid might be interested in it. Well, I think, um, 
that's been fascinating. We, we always like to ask one last question. Um, and I might ask you, Anthony, if you were the Prime Minister of Australia or the Premier of Victoria, being a bit closer to home, and you could change one law. Would have been the law that gives all would have been money. <laughs> lots of money. Lots of money. Just, just to what? Everybody else. Uh, but give me, give me. If on a federal level, going back to probably excise, I would say we should probably look at the American model, which really encourages growth of smaller breweries. In America, every every town has their own their own brewery, and they people really get behind their local brewery. And I think there's some states that you can't export to other states, even because you have to keep it local, and they're taxed accordingly. So. Budweiser would be at the very high end of the scale of tax and a, the local microbrewery or pub, a, a brew pub, would be barely paying any tax whatsoever as far as on excise tax we're talking here. Um, whereas in Australia, we are all loaded into one little bucket and we're, we're on the same level playing field as CUB. They have made some changes to it in the last 18 months, which are, which, which better, does, which better. definitely are better, but it certainly doesn't go where it needs to go. What about you, Travis? I don't know. The, the give, give Bonehead more money tax. I don't know. I think, um, I don't know, probably steering away from breweries. I, I, there's, I don't know. There's lots of rules that I don't quite understand. I don't know why I'm doing 80 kilometers an hour on a five-lane highway. Um, you know, so <laughs> I'll, I'll just... I'll yeah. Where do you start? <laughs> yeah, where do you start? Get rid of speed cameras, you say? No. No, look, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, you look at if you look at the model um, of wet tax for wine... Uh, versus um, versus excise for for alcohol or for beer, um, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense as to why some some things are quite light and and um, and are governed based on the wholesale prime producers are they? Not? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for the uneducated like me on this topic, so what's is how's wine treated different? So when uh, so yeah, sorry to to cut off is cut off the end of that question, but so wet wine equalisation tax was introduced yeah. uh, as a way to I suppose, offset the difference between imported product and the uh, national product um, because wineries are seen as primary producers, essentially. Um, whereas we are... You don't think that's... No, we are seen as um, as manufacturers of alcohol. Um, so, you know, that could be... A, a, you make you drunk on wine? <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're seen as manufacturers of alcohol. It could be... It could be high alcohol RCDs. We're taxed the same way they are um, versus, yeah, um, versus wine, which is 15, 15% liquid in a bottle versus 5% liquid in a, in a can. I don't really get the difference. The, ma the main difference is for us, it's based on the alcohol content um, of the vessel that has been sold to the public. Therefore, kegs are taxed at a different rate to packaged goods. Uh, and the package goods. So for every time we every time we sell a case of beers, I put it in perspective. So case of beers, fifty bucks for a fifty dollar wholesale ish on a uh, on a sixteen pack of beer. How much of that goes to the government? Fourteen bucks. Yeah, about that. Last last four. Fourteen, not including GST. Not including GST. Then we've so there's GST. So there's, there's tax on the tax. Um, then well, it's not tax. It's excise. So it's not tax on the tax. You can't tax that. Um, so it's actually the exercise. So we've got $14 goes there. You've then got to think that, so it's only $50 wholesale. You've got the can, you've got making the liquid, you've, et cetera, et cetera. So there's not a lot of money in this. Um, so especially over COVID when that was all we could sell, 
you can kind of then start to imagine why things got to be tight for a lot of breweries. You know, uh, their least profitable line is all they had left. Which kind of goes back to my point. It's just such a confusing system. And uh, they've tried to simplify it a little bit in the last 18 months, but it's so confusing. Uh, you've got different rates for different size packaging. It just yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Whereas wet literally is just a percentage of the wholesale product. So you can drop your wholesale and pay less tax. Well, on that very sobering note, <laughs> sobering, I like that. Um, thank you very much. Um, that was excellent. And thank you for the for the beer. And um, thank you for having us. And if people have been listening at home and they want to find out more about Bonehead, where can they go? So you've got boneheadbrewing.com.au or bonehead, boneheadbrewing.au or boneheadau? Boneheadbrewing.au on your social platforms. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming in. Guys. Thank you. It's a really good chat. Thank you. It's awesome. Cheers. Yeah, we, we do a lot of these from a beer world perspective, from a craft beer perspective, and it's it's nice to do one that isn't just focused on, I don't know, mayhem and... Different yeah, 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 mayhem and flavours. It's good to do, do one of these sober as well. It's Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah. I wouldn't know where those questions to ask. Yeah, that's been it, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Legally Consume, a consumer products podcast by the Consumer Products Law Firm. This was presented by Raph Goldenberg, Kay Ho and Will McFinn from CIE Legal. Our theme song is by our very own CIE Legal house band, which is comprised of Will McMinn, Andrew Ma and Andrew Thompson. This podcast production is in partnership with Social Stuff. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. For more updates and behind-the-scenes footage, head to our Instagram at CIE Legal, all one word. You can also check out our website to listen to a range of episodes and find additional free information at www.cielegal.com.au. To get in contact with CIE Legal about consumer products legal services, reach out to us on info at cielegal.com.au. Thanks again for listening to Legally Consumed and see you all in the next episode.